meditation, 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 depending on the quality of my You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice, um, I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast, a podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Buddhism and Western Psychology. We all want alleviation from suffering, to find ways to rest with our diverse experiences as they arise. Both Western psychology and Buddhism use particular methods for working with our emotions. How are they complementary? Today we are joined by Dr. Bill Auerbach. Bill is a psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice. He's also an assistant clinical professor of psychology at New York University, where he teaches about Buddhism and psychoanalysis. He writes about psychotherapy, trauma, dissociation, and the experience of time. He has over 20 years of experience as a psychotherapist and has been a student of Buddhism for over 15 years. This talk was recorded in 2016. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Here's Bill to take away the discussion. What is the one point that I think would be useful to, a, to people if I take it from Dharma and Western psychotherapy and uh, contemplative psychology? What's one point that would be useful? And I thought, well, self-regulation of emotions is useful. That um, self-regulation is a Western term, and it refers to how the mind calms itself. The basic idea is that when we're born, we are subject to extreme emotions. You know that moment, like if you're born ordinarily and the baby screams and slapped and there's a cold, cold uh, temperature and suddenly there's bright lights. And, um, and if you look at a baby, you'll see that the emotions are subject to rather intense uh, and pretty sudden changes, oftentimes, so that uh, perceptions like noise or light or hunger or cold uh, can be very, are probably extremely intense. Um, and it's really the mother uh, or the, the father who, in finding a way to hold the baby's needs as well as its bodies, sort of softens and gentles the experience so the baby can begin to come together, if you will, as a subjective uh, sentient being. And when we have that sort of good enough holding environment, then we begin to blossom. We begin to come into our own, if you would say. We begin to feel safe, and we can think. And in a way, that's an example of self, first self-regulation. Um, another way to think of self-regulation is when we have fear. Like, pretty much, I'm going to venture a guess, if I gave a list of five or six extreme emotions, you probably could say, raise your hand for at least one of them. 
like I've had that at least one time. And those motions might be panic or terror. It could be rage, anger into rage. It could be losing hope. It could be uh, extreme pain. It could be paranoia, psychosis, you know. Uh, and these extreme emotions are, in a way, you could say it's part of our evolutionary legacy that we are capable of them. They come to us sometimes unbidden, and we have to deal with it. And probably everyone in the room has at one point or another dealt with maybe a lot of them, <laughs> some of them, you know. So, so we could say that one of the things that Western psychology and Dharma has is the capacity to teach us to work not only with extreme emotions, but with painful emotions altogether. That really no one comes to Dharma because everything's perfect. Just as no one really comes to psychotherapy because everything is perfect. There's something that, at least one thing, which you would like to adjust, change, learn from, uh, connect to, feel inspired by, uh, alleviate a suffering. And in a way, we could say when that comes to emotion, we're talking about self-regulation. Uh, the founder of Shambhala Buddhism, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, really was a very astute observer of people and uh, emotions and was a very colorful man himself. And uh, he said something which was that Buddhism would come to the West in the form of psychology. And he said that like 1970s. Uh, Pema Chodron, who's uh, maybe has reached more people in the West than any other Buddhist teacher in our, our generation or uh, perhaps altogether, really emphasizes um, emotions. And what Pema really I've studied a number of times, another number of different classes with her, and over and over again, she conveys, I think, what's a simple message, but is a little bit difficult because our minds are, make things, simple things, complicated. And that message is to rest with experience as it arises and not to alter it. And so that when an experience such as anxiety or fear or sadness arises in meditation, what Pema will say is, rest with that gently. And the implication is that within the experience itself, a good deal of innate wisdom, your wisdom, arises when you do that. The mind relaxes. The mind is in a way tense and uh, sort of stuck in a kind of a feedback loop that's not quite working. We're a bit out of sync with ourselves. And when we begin to relax and accept the, our experience just as it is, arising, open to it, just as it is, not changing it, that a certain intelligence becomes available that is offline otherwise. So there's an intelligence, a kind of awakening of intelligence, of freedom that is, can be brought online with a very subtle shift of our mind. And it's because we th we're moving rather quickly and because we're stuck in some ways in our patterns of thinking, we just miss it. You know, it's as if you're doing a sport or have learned an art and you realize you're trying a little too hard. And at some point you 
maybe give up and then you get it. So there's some quality there that we could rest more kindly with our, our diverse experiences as they arise. Um, so we could talk a little bit more about uh, self-regulation um, and ideas about it. Uh, I think today is an interesting day to do it, a uh, difficult day for us, some of us, for many of us. Um, uh, a lot of emotions may have been uh, triggered by the events in Orlando, the attack uh, on the gay uh, bar there and the killings. Many of us may have been here at 9-11, you know, and even if we were not, there's other experiences of violence that we have. We understand that. Um, and so fear, anger, sometimes indifference, numbness, sometimes drinking too much can get triggered. And in each of those instances, there are times where we feel like we're kind of connected with ourselves. We sort of connect with the fear and it's not so overwhelming. We connect with the sadness and it feels sort of gentle. It feels right. It feels intelligent. Nothing wrong with it. Just noticing what's going on. We connect with anger and we think it's sharp. It's, my anger is sort of identifying a problem and I can begin to see a way through it. I can actually maybe solve a problem with this motivation, right? So in a way, we could say that's a well-regulated emotion in each of those instances. But then there are moments where it really isn't well-regulated, where we are um, out of sync. You know, a moment like that could be a paranoid response. You don't really think it's paranoid when it's happening. You just believe it to be true. But in retrospect, you say, I think I kind of overblew that one. I overreacted. I, I responded too much. You know, um, The fear, in a way, one of the things that happens with fear is that as it escalates, you know, fear is maybe in low levels, we don't know, always know what it's from. It's anxiety. It's uneasy. We can feel restless, distracted, uncomfortable. But it's not too much because the truth is most of us experience that every day. That's a very ordinary state of mind. But as it increases, it becomes more troublesome. It becomes painful. And it changes our ways of thinking. Certain defensive patterns start arising when we're afraid. Sometimes we're not even, a, we're not connected to it and we're a bit numb, but our thinking is spinning in a fierce, fearful way, even though we're not feeling the fear in our body. As it escalates, it becomes high anxiety. You're, uh, hands are sweating, your uh, heart may start to thump, and in panic, you really feel terror. 
you just want to get out of there. You feel like you're going to have a heart attack or lose your mind or you just have to get out. So that's, we go from ordinary experiences, which, you know, the low level, I, I would venture a guess, probably all of us felt today, maybe more than once, maybe a number of times, to the highest level, which hopefully none of us experienced today. That kind of dysregulation. Psychologists have all these diagnoses, and it turns out a lot of them are not too accurate. They're not so useful. We have like more diagnoses than um, is sometimes probably well-supported even by research. But there's some very solid ones. And one of the things that you will see as you go across the different kinds of problems people have with anxiety, depression, uh, personality problems, addiction, uh, and so on, and even psychosis, is what you see is that people have a lot of trouble self-regulating. And that whether we have a clinical problem or just ordinary problem, that that self-regulation is something that we can really work on. And uh, Western psychology tends to work on it in particular ways and Buddhism in other ways. But I think that they are both uh, working, actually, effectively with different people or sometimes the same people um, because, in part, both have ways of addressing these emotional problems. And I, I believe they're actually very complementary that trying to separate them, uh, this one works and that one doesn't work, is, is false. Uh, and trying to mush them all together also takes away some of the particular potency that both systems have on their own. The basic idea in um, uh, Western psychology is very practical. It's almost transactional. You have a problem, you want it fixed. <laughs> you know, you want to get rid of a painful emotion. It's straightforward. And the psychologist, the social worker, the psychoanalyst, the psychiatrist, the, the psychiatric nurse's basic mission is to help you remove that symptom and address that problem. In psychoanalysis or psychodynamic psychotherapies, people explore the meanings, the family relationships, the history of something, how, what it is in your present life that sustains the suffering. You know, in cognitive behavior therapy, there's a tendency to look at how irrational beliefs uh, and um, painful conditioning um, are being perpetuated through maladaptive patterns of thinking and troubles with attention today. Um, and they both see anxiety in particular, which is the kind of fear which we're not sure why we're having it, but we're having it. They see that as really critical, um, just as Buddhism sees anxiety and, and fear as a very critical emotion. Because of the events in, in uh, Orlando, uh, I've been feeling kind of dysregulated today, I think, and preparing this talk. Um, and um, I, I think that one could talk of a lot of emotions in terms of regulation, but I think it's actually useful to focus for today on fear. And the reason is there's something about fear which moves in so many different directions. 
and at the same time, and is also so present daily that it becomes a very good way for us to begin to work with our minds. Now, while in Western psychology, the emphasis to, is, to be, is to practically alleviate your suffering, um, Buddhism, it's a little more, it's a little bit a bigger view, bigger vision. The idea is that our emotional suffering is, um, in a way, a gateway to awakening, to enlightenment, to freedom. That it's not only a matter of alleviating suffering, but that we, inherent in our very nature of our mind, inherent in our very, you could say, neural genes, have a capacity to become Buddhas. That there is absolutely no difference in the potential that you have, or I have, or, or our neighbors have, to awaken, and that of Shakyamuni Buddha, the, the, the historical Buddha. That it's actually just in the very nature of our minds, just as they are, this capacity to awaken up, to awaken. And sometimes it's called freedom, sometimes it's called li liberation, sometimes it's called uh, nirvana. But it's really, I like the term freedom because I think we all know when we're feeling really free. I think we know, all know, um, even I, I think Buddhists have to go to sleep, so I think awakenment is a little bit like a little funny term. But I think freedom and liberation is very, very real. So, so in Buddhism, the notion of working with fear and afflictive emotions like fear or anger is that we are it's a veil to that that either closes us down or if we remove the veil opens us up that gives us brings us our freedom and that this freedom is something that um is our birthright actually so working with our minds is not only a matter of practically oh please i need a a, a glass of water because I'm thirsty or I need a drink because I'm anxious or I need therapy because I'm anxious every day, a lot of the day, and I, it's hurting me, you know. Um, good reasons, I mean. But, but in Buddhism, it's actually we all can awaken together completely and be, reach that freedom together by understanding the basic nature of our mind. And to do so, we actually have to look at our minds, we actually have to look at our emotions. We actually have to make an effort to be precise about it. You know? um, thank you. Yeah. So if you have a really a thorny problem, you know, let's say you're in a lawsuit or um, you're having a really complicated problem with a spouse, or a, a difficult problem at work, it doesn't work to kind of tune out too long. You know, you actually have to define the problem. You have to be specific. You have to lean into it. And in a way, that's also the case with working with our minds. The um, idea that we could just wing it doesn't really work, you know? So today I'd like to talk a little bit more about fear and anxiety, which is sort of the first noble truth, which is suffering. And I thought we could work together on a medit guided meditation that gives you a flavor of self-regulation. 
you're doing it anyway. These are things, there's nothing about this which is going to be different than what you actually can do for yourself. But it's never probably, it perhaps was never formalized quite this way. So it's in the practice, it's a kind of a suggesting something, a way to work with emotions for yourself. Um, when we talk about fear, for example, we could say, what kinds of fears do we have? Well, we have fears like of pain. We have fears of change. We have, and this is sort of universal in some ways. I mean, there's nothing, nothing that's unusual in any way about it. We have fears of uh, embarrassment, uh, fears of being alone, fears of being too much with people, being suffocated by people. We have fears of um, um, violence, death, uh, not being wanted, not being loved, not being desired, um, being in environments that are, uh, that, that are hostile, you know? Um, and in a way, our fear keeps us alive, right? It's, uh, there's an intelligence to the fear even, right? Because it says, there's a danger here, address it specifically. Don't mess around with this one. Get to it. So, um, and as we said, fears can be high or low. Anxiety can be high or low. Um, and so, are there any questions before we go into the meditation? Any questions about fear itself, the terms, um, the... Um, or just sort of on the on this topic, yeah. Yes, hi. 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 I think to assume that somebody has the mental health to mm -hmm. be able to know when they're exaggerating and when they're not, or when they're thinking clearly or when they're not—that's right. a big assumption. I don't yes. know if that's right yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Or certainly not always true, right? right? I mean, we all can look at examples where it's not true, but in mm -hmm. a way, we could say that the path of learning of, let's say, emotional education involves learning that about ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, and that if we're not um, in that, you could say causes and effects give us the opportunities to learn that, right? So are you kind of encouraging us just to trust our own experience to know when we're exaggerating our reactions to things mm -hmm. or not? Um, yes, actually. Um, I mean, your experience first begins with your body and not noticing your thoughts, right? Um, are your thoughts particularly anxious by content right now? You know, is the material what you're thinking about? Um, are you becoming overly detailed because that's what you do? You know you do that when you're anxious. You kind of miss the big picture when you get anxious. Uh, is your body sensations changing? Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes that's family, friends point out, you know, you're doing that again, right? And so, so there's a process of learning. Thank you. You sure? I'm still trying to understand the self, mm -hmm. you know, the concept of self-regulation because mm -hmm. it seems like um, 
you know, if I'm in pain or if I'm suffering or if I'm extremely angry, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Uh, on the one hand, it seems like you said, like as Prema said, to stay with that anger. Right. Um, and self-regulation almost, at least it's, I'm, I, I'm understanding almost like mm -hmm. putting a kind of a lid on into it. So if you can explain mm -hmm. a little bit more on that. Yeah, it's an interest. I don't know if I would originally think of a lid, but sometimes it could be a lid. Um, the idea of self-regulation is the things that we do that soothe and calm our emotions when they get over, we feel they're overly intense. So let's take the example of anger, you know. Um, when one is angry, um, one tends to develop a kind of a, a particular way of thinking, um, which is different than when you're not angry with that person. You might find yourself saying things like, oh, you do that, and, and why did you do that, and you always do this. And you become, in a way, hyper-focused on the wrongdoing of the other person. And it might not occur to you when you're angry, which might occur to you when you're not, that perhaps you did something that evoked that person's anger. Or perhaps that person might be angry about something else that has nothing to do with you, and you've been taking it very personally. How could you do that to me after all I've done for you? Or how could you insult me that way? But, which is, I mean, it's understandable, right? But you might then step back and say, gee, you know, that person's just lost their home and uh, they're kind of out of control right now. I need to not take this so personally, right? Or I need to wait till I'm not angry to speak with this person because when I speak that way, she gets angrier at me, yeah? And I know that I tend to attack hard when I feel this way. And let me just wait. So what would be self-regulation in that case? It would be waiting. So you could say lid, I mean, right? Because in a way it, it is, you might, you might be a person, like most of us, where you might feel you, some of your mistakes are talking too often when you're angry. So other people have the other opposite mistake. I'm sure there's people in the room will say, I'm, I'm the opposite. I don't talk enough when I'm angry. But others will say, you know, I, most of my regrets are when I speak when I'm angry. So that's the self-regulation part, right? So it's always, if you think of uh, colors, you know, it's when we're in the red zone and we like to be yellow or blue or whatever. Yeah? Is, is that useful? Yeah, thank you. And thanks for the question. It's a good question. sort of be a very well-adjusted person and still benefit, I believe, from psychotherapy mm -hmm. or learning about self-regulation, no matter how well-adjusted you are. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not sure. Could you just say the question again? I didn't quite hear uh, it. Is awakening, learning about self-regulation, these are ongoing learning processes yes. that, you, that go on infinitely within your lifetime until mm -hmm. the day you die, I guess. Yes, I think so, absolutely. And in fact, I, I have a, a friend who's a really kind of senior teacher and has spent a lot of his time with senior teachers. And one senior teacher said to him, you know, you could be enlightened about everything except your family, <laughs> you know, which I thought was like a very humble thing and, and sort of fit with what I observe in people. You know, people, we all get triggered at points. And... Uh, 
in a way, it's helpful to be humble about, about that. And yes, I do think it is a, a lifelong process. Um, the way we self-regulate at 10 is different than at 30 or 50 or probably 70 or 90. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So if there are no more questions, I thought I would lead you through a meditation on this. The main thing to understand when you're working with any emotions of fear or anxiety in a meditation is, in a way, be your own meditation instructor. Self-regulation would mean, in this case, don't overdo it. Don't, 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 in this group of, you know, 100 people or so, don't overwhelm yourself. This isn't meant to... We're not going to solve a problem forever tonight, you know. It's really offering you a method to uh, work with emotion um, and uh, to bring uh, to your life as something you can draw on, the general feeling or, or, or principle. So you could close your eyes, you know, and just think about a situation where you have some anxiety, some tension. And uh, as you remember that situation, I'm going to talk about gentleness for a little while. And gentleness is something that is not just a light touch. It's a way of being. Hmm? It's a way of being that has certain qualities like tenderness, softness, safety, presence. And as we connect with gentleness our minds begin to feel some ease, some relaxation. With gentleness, we're learning to be with, with whatever arises in our mind. We're trying to do so without being particularly reactive. Trying to maintain an attitude of openness and curiosity. When fear arises, we stay with it gently. Just curious about how the fear affects our thinking, how the fear affects our feelings. We may have an impulse to contract, to stop, to detach. But if we can, we just gently stay present. Softly, gently 
present. Nothing to fix. Nothing to manipulate. Not even a little bit. Nothing to suppress. We simply notice without judging. We stay there with the emotion, allowing it to move, arise, perhaps change. We don't have to figure it out or analyze it. And if you're able to now, please try to stop or to, to drop the storyline. Try to notice the sensations in the body. What does the body feel like? Is there tension in the jaw, the chest, the hands, the stomach? Just noticing the body now. Does your experience change? Does it move? When the thoughts and the impulses come back, can you return to your body sensations? Is there still fear in your body? If so, where is it? And now, see if you can feel some kindness for what you're experiencing. Some loving kindness in your heart or thoughts. And see if you can really connect to those sensations in the body, really bringing them in. Can you feel some kindness for your experience? Allow that compassion to connect to your body. Any small feeling of kindness or love is good. Any thoughts are fine of kindness or love. Just connecting it with your sensations in the body. And just kind of touch our hearts. 
And just kind of wishing well, sense of kindness. And we can begin to come into the room and be present in our bodies. And just breathe deeply in the body, the eyes open. We could end with a wish that all beings know safety and the causes of safety, that all beings know happiness and the causes of happiness. Just staying with the feelings of kindness and safety. So we could have some conversation, questions. So when I thought about uh, something that brought up fear, um, Mm -hmm. I do this work study situation um, at a dance center mm-hmm. and I notice that I'm, I always get like shortness of breath when I'm doing my job there just because I feel like I feel like I'm expendable to a certain extent like mm-hmm. I could they could choose somebody else to fill my position very easily mm-hmm. and so I, I'm constantly feeling the fear of that and it's like underlying my time there right. so besides being with the fear mm-hmm. I mean, how else could I soothe this situation? Like, would I speak honestly and openly to the woman that I work for? Mm-hmm. What are the kind of suggestions that you might have for somebody in that situation? Right, right. You know? So the, the fear is that you would be expendable? Yeah, well, knowing that, I, that it's very easily for them to replace me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. okay. So there's a couple ways we could talk about that one way would be sort of the meaning to you of of being replaced right you know so um and uh that would be like a personal dialogue or Mm -hmm. conversation you know and so that you and through it maybe develop a sense of um being able to cope with the ideas better feel better about the ideas of, say, rejection, you know? With the body, I think it would be, and in the meditation, it's really acknowledgement, acceptance. And then I think you could try to feel how the body is moving with the fear, and then to bring that kindness to to yourself. You know, what is it like to to be afraid of being rejected, you know? You know, and... Can you feel love or kindness to yourself in spite of those fear with those fears you know um, you know it's a kind of awakening of that kind of kindness towards yourself so the, so one level would be thinking through you know and that's I think that's really a therapeutic traditional therapeutic way, and the other way is really working with the body and the sort of awakening being honest with yourself but awakening that 
you could say confidence that you could deal with it. Yeah? Yeah, something like that. Thank you. Thank you. I've been working with a metaphor of uh, it's an, an animal who, you know, the cage is open but still isn't leaving, you know, mm -hmm. the cage of my childhood, which was not particularly happy and mm -hmm. full of fear. I could imagine myself giving comfort to this animal, but mm -hmm. when I tried to put myself in, I couldn't, mm -hmm. I can't. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's a good first step. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's, I think being able to have the image itself mm -hmm. is a very good first step. Mm -hmm. And I think um, kind of with self-regulation, you, you go gently, mm -hmm. right? You kind of notice what, you, what feels like a safe way to relate to that experience. Yeah. And, uh, and we can work with the breath to calm, to quiet, to find peace and safety. And the idea is that when we find safety, this gentleness in our mind, then we have the seed to move out from that place. You know, maybe cautiously, maybe little by little. Yeah? yeah. Thank you. Um, I have a question, um, and I, I suspect I know at least one of the answers you may give, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, particularly, I think we talk a lot about fear and anxiety being um, emotions that, of course, you ha evoke, like, a physical response, but mm -hmm. also are really fed by thought. Um, mm -hmm. And I think self-regulation oftentimes really will require sort of your own uh, an intervention of your own thoughts, right, to sort of stop us, stop an anxiety swirl or stop something like that. But um, do you have suggestions for how to sort of integrate a more physical response to self-regulation, like maybe mm -hmm. body scans or, or mm -hmm. things like that? Sure. Um, to me, the, my understanding of somatic work uh, or my own process with it is it has to do with um, the internal awareness of the body itself. You know, body work to me often implies, uh, like in my mind's eye, even though I haven't really studied formally body work, right? Um, like doing particular things, and I think we do do particular things, but I think actually most of it is subtle, and it has to do with our internal awareness of our body. Yeah, and the scan is a very good example of it what happens with the stomach, what happens in the throat, what happens in the chest, what happens, you know, in the hands and so on, you know. And, and so there's a kind, and what I generally do is then I recognize and then I just invite points of tension to relax. You know? When we work with breath, we're also working with body, right? So also working, noticing what the breath is like at those moments. Um, there are more complex issues of trauma working with body, which would go well beyond our talk, body memories and so on, in, in trauma, diso severe dissociation. But that's really a much more complex and really takes us in a, a, another direction. You know? yeah. Okay. yeah. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Hi. Um, Hi. So y you talk about regulating feelings. Yes. I mean, if, if anything, I feel like I'm overregulated. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have the opposite problem right. of actually coming into contact with the emotions. Right. So, I, I mean, there have been experiences in my life where I've been overwhelmed. I was here 9 11. You know, I mean, that type of stuff does overwhelm me. Say that again. I, I was here 9 11, so I, I don't okay. want to say that when you say, you know, come into contact with some emotion that, that was overwhelming for you. Right. I can do that, mm-hmm. but it's not my usual right. state of being. So I was wondering if you could address that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And also I was wondering, you know, uh, if there was some benefit to allowing emotions to come out, mm-hmm. to reach sure. some catharsis, to bring you into contact with some mm-hmm. thing. Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I am talking today more on the side of, of um, excesses of energy, really. And um, one of the, you know, when what you're describing, on one hand we call, call it a minimum, right? But it's actually closing down emotion is also uh, often could be like feeling of numbness, you know? And um, w- and when working with the body, one could be aware of that numbness. You know, there could be, say, anger. You could be aware of a tension in the jaw. You know, you could uh, challenge yourself to take a leap. That's more, you know, of expressing yourself to others uh, when you notice that you really are shying away. You know, and um, you might ask yourself, like, is this something? Am I saying what I, you know, am I being genuine here? Am I saying what I feel? Now, the way we say what we feel doesn't have to be an attack on another person, but it could be something in the form, you know, when you do that, I get angry, um, and I think this, you know, and I really do get very angry when you do that, you know. So there's a sense of not necessarily, you don't necessarily have to attack the person and say, you, 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 but you can really engage the conversation. Um, and and I think this whole point of being genuine, you know, is very important, you know, and asking yourself, did I really say what I mean here? Yeah. Uh, and knowing yourself that I, you tend to, um, you know, I might say that a lot of the errors in my life I feel are errors of commission. You might say my errors are more errors of omission. You know, was I genuine? Was I real? You know, did I take the time to care to say what I meant? I mean, I think these are things that, in communication, that's not really meditation, but it's working with uh, that tendency, right? Yeah? Thank you. You kind of answered my question, but I wanted to also ask about, um, I have this weird problem with balancing negative thoughts with allowing the emotion of those negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to stop the thoughts, but I know that they're bad, for mm-hmm. they're negative. Mm-hmm. But I also try to feel the emotions because yes. of those thoughts. Yes. So it's like I know they're bad or negative thoughts, and I shouldn't. I'll, I don't know if that's enough mm-hmm. for you to understand what I'm saying. But I don't want to stop the thoughts, but mm-hmm. I know that I need to change them. Right. But I also want to feel the emotions because mm-hmm. I'm trying to practice feeling the emotions right. to let them out. Right. So it's kind of... Yeah. 
it sounds like there's co- like some conflict right. you know, between um, wanting to be clear about what you're feeling and thinking and real about it, but then feeling that there's destructive. I mean, we could imagine like an addictive issue. It's like a good, you know, it's not necessarily yours isn't an addiction, but one could have an addiction and have such, such thoughts. The mind is sort of spinning, right? And so um, when we talk about rumination, it means that we keep overthinking things, for example. The mind keeps overthinking, overthinking, overthinking. And, and the strategy with that, with rumination, is that you're looking to solve a problem externally, which isn't, you're not going to solve that night or that day. You're overthinking it. So you could watch your mind doing that, and then gently, when it's, you start to get a little tired begin to come to something else, bring your attention elsewhere. Um, if it's an addictive issue, you, you know, there are other ways, other sources that you could have to work with that, right? Yeah? Thanks. Sure. Thanks for the talk. Um, You're welcome. I'm curious, in the, in the mode of co-regulation, our partners are actually emoting towards us, mm-hmm. say empathy, which is part of the process yes. of helping us regulate, like when we're right. babies, etc. When it comes to self-regulation, since the, the issue at hand is an overwhelming personal emotion, mm-hmm. what is it that you think is supposed to be happening, or what are we emoting towards ourselves if the already existing emotion is whatever it is, panic or fear or mm-hmm. anger, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, are, are you asking what is it, our response to those, those painful emotions? Is that your question? I guess in a sense when, uh, when you're co-regulating or in that state, one, one person is experiencing mm-hmm. an ah. overwhelming feeling, the other person is capable of emoting freely, choosing their feelings. Whereas okay. when you're in a state of overwhelm, Mm-hmm. To try and change how you feel is effectively an attempt to alter your state, and by right. doing that, you actually cut like you're you're becoming unable of, or unable to do that. Uh, okay. So I'm curious, like, what's your thoughts about the emotional process during self-regulation? Okay, thank you. Um, so just a little bit of background, which is I appreciate you're raising it, which is that relationships can help us regulate emotion. They also can help us dysregulate emotions. So like if you're with a mate or a loved one and you're both angry and shouting at the same time, you're dysregulating each other. However, if one person is angry and the other is sort of um, holding the situation in a way that feels okay to the angry person, you could be helping with regulation. There's a, and that bonds of love can help regulation, right? And are an important aspect of emotional regulation. In a way, when we work with loving kindness to an emotion, a painful emotion, the it's not the relationship out there between you and a loved one. It's actually you have the role of both loved and lover, if you will, right? You, you are the kind attention that you are bringing to that, say, fear is like, like a mother with a baby. You hold the mind of fear in the cradle of loving kindness. And so um, it's, it's more individual when you're doing it with meditation. But in family life, when family life is really working well, yeah, it, it, we can do that sometimes for each other. Yeah. Thank you. 
thank you for um, introducing the idea of self-regulation, which I assume mm -hmm. comes from uh, kind of Western yes. clinical therapy. Yes. Um, I just want to make sure I understand correctly, so mm -hmm. please correct me if mm -hmm. uh, I'm wrong. Uh, Self-regulation uh, is not repression. It's more for me. It's more like uh, mm -hmm. I understand it as um, minimizing on the course level the acting out, mm -hmm. like yes. shouting, whatever, and on a subtle level also the mental chatter, whirlwind yes. of uh, thoughts, and so that we are then more able to see clearly and yes. look into it. Mm -hmm. Yes, beautifully put. Thank you. Um, so, um, in a sense, it's not repressing, it's actually trying to get to the center. Mm -hmm. If anything, the acting out is, you know, going on sorts of, mm -hmm. all sorts of directions that, are, right. that may be ultimately irrelevant. Um, and what I think is actually, sort of takes a leap of faith and confidence, is that what happens from that point on is... Totally, I mean, we look at it, and mm -hmm. it's very personal, and it, it's only, like, only we have the answer, mm -hmm. right? Because it has to do with how did I get there, you know, mm -hmm. what it means in the context of my life and experience. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so you know, and, 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 the, and that's, I think, the big leap of faith for mm -hmm. most of you know, because especially if, you know, trying it one, once, twice, may say, okay, I'm still angry, you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, to... to to have the faith that uh, the place of stillness will lead to insight and, yes. and the, the, the insight will gradually transform. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think faith is a good, a good word for it. There's a very basic position that this kind of peace or quiet or groundedness is extremely uh, valuable and that um, we can... Uh, come back to it. And meditation really is that. Thank you. I think it's getting a little late. Uh, I think we have one question. Is that it? Or did you want to? Are you anyone? Yeah. I think we, it's about that time for us to wind up. Um, I want to thank everyone. Uh, it's a uh, good topic, interesting, it's painful moments here and wish uh, um, well-being. For, for, for all of us um, as, as we go forward. I thought um, we could maybe end with a bow, which is a kind of a acknowledgement of the basic decency and goodness inherent in all our minds together. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.